evening some enchanted evening welcome back to the fight site mma podcast nailed it, nailed it especially because i had to repeat it because the call wasn't recording yet go ahead and uh subscribe to the 500 dollars patron tier uh and you can you too can submit a song for me to intro the show with that's not why we're here never why we're here uh we're here to talk about the upcoming pay-per-view 240 242 243 253 god knows i didn't pay any attention um we're not math majors yeah you're an accounting <laughs> studying accounting firm because i don't um, want to do math there's no there's no math in accounting i thought that was like the whole point of the job it's addition subtraction multiplication and some division i can't do all those <laughs> We get calculators. See, this is uh, this is what I have to work with, folks. But no, we have a pay-per-view to talk about. A surprisingly limp pay-per-view, if I might add. Um, really not a lot doing on this card. Uh, and it's replete with a main event that we all kind of decide that we just hate for a variety of reasons. It's not like the, it's not like the, the, the worst fight that could be made, but it is a it's an annoying one. But Sherman and I have opted not to suffer alone. <laughs> uh, we've called upon our good friend, and who honestly is increasingly starting to look like the just our pay-per-view pal, the most interesting man in the world, Haxorized. I mean, I like how we started this with just an attack on math. It's like, geez, boys, I'm feeling personally attacked here. Like, uh, after the way <laughs> I ended the last podcast, just bullying Danny, is, is this how we start now? Do you get your licks in early? Is this the front-runner brigade? <laughs> Oh no, um, no 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 no! Trust me, we got a, we got a whole hour's worth of. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah, uh, this this pay per view, um, decision tree, you know, like so many of these fights are so binary. Does fighter do incredibly obvious thing that'd be stupid not to do? If so, they probably win. If not, they probably lose. Everybody goes and sticks their head in the oven. Uh... So this, uh, not to bury the lead, but we are, of course, referring to the main event of the pay-per-view, uh, heavyweight fight, title fight, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier 3. Um, not to be an overly cynical person, which sometimes I am, um, and I, I am really trying to take this sport for what it is. You know, and not not give not not just breed negativity and not just bring a negative attitude into the uh, the fight site work environment. But I don't know about you guys. It really doesn't feel like there's a lot of interest in this fight, does it? Uh, winner is going to go on to get killed by Francis Ngannou. So I don't like know whether it matters who really wins. Other than, you know, for for those of us who really despise DC, and I think there are three of us on this podcast alone, it does matter that DC loses, but I don't know whether it matters who wins. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not being cynical when I say Ngannou wins, because uh, as we know from the last time Hacks was on, he does love Ngannou. And, you know, that's something worth mentioning, because Ngannou is heavyweight at its best and worst. But these guys kind of seem on their way out as is. And the fact that there's that specter kind of looming over the entire division kind of makes this whole thing seem pointless. I think the appeal of this fight, at least for me, is... I mean, I like I like our big Croatian firefighter boy, to be honest. But um, I think the appeal of this fight for me is more 
how did we get here? How did we get to a fight that looks like this? How do we get to a fight where we're kind of asking ourselves, have either of these guys actually critically evaluated any of their weaknesses in like the last two years worth of fight material? How is this fight happening at the at the top of the division? How is this how is this such a limited fight in terms of adaptation and preparation of camps? I think that's where this fight's interesting. The actual fight itself is probably going to be really, really ugly and even supporters I think of both men are going to be very very like, you know, watching behind the, the hands over the eyes, like, oh god, I don't want to watch, but I should watch, but oh god. I think that's kind of where this fight sits for me. It's uh it's everything outside of the actual fight that's more interesting. I think that's a good uh I think that's a good place to start. God, how did we get here? Because it seems like it's like heavyweight stopped at UFC 220 for me. It's like Stipe beat Ngannou and was suddenly like, okay, something makes sense in this division. And then the first fight between DC and Stipe happened. Ngannou kept winning, well, after uh, after that Lewis fight. And then there was all the controversy with the, with the eye pokes. Yeah, people were demanding a rematch. Stipe eventually got it a year later. And then he won it, and I was like, okay, sweet, we're kind of closing the book on this, great. No. There's a third fight we got to mine. I just, from the read I can get, people just aren't that interested in this fight. Like, it's just not, it's just not motivating anybody. Like, no one's, no one outside of DC seems to really want this fight. And because I absolutely detest Daniel Cormier as a human being and a fighter... I don't like seeing him get what he wants. So there's something in this that irks me. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have said that better. It's It feels like the kind of UFC thing where like if there's a 1-1 pair, then you kind of have to run it back even though no one cares about it. And the second fight was probably more indicative than the first. And even with all this, it's just like you could look at dynamics all day. But at the end of the day, one one they're both heavyweights. And two, one of them has been ridiculously prone to poking the other one in the eyes. So it's like from both an excitement perspective and from a analytical perspective, I'm not really sure how much any of what we say here is going to pan out. But, you know, uh, you're paying us to try. So I think I mean, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with people who I must respect their hustle in the sense that they have um, really ground out analyzing this fight, like uh, Dan from a, a type wrapping, type writing DA. And um, <laughs> I, you know, th- they will make very, very you, coherent, very fair points. And my thought process is, Oh God, I really want to respond to this with something substantive, but I'm like, but why though? <laughs> like that's just been my attitude towards this fight, because I think like, if we were to draw a, a long bow and talk about the narrative arc of um, Miyoshish's career, it is he got to the heavyweight title and we're all like, okay, well, I mean, he could he could beat he could beat Vadum, you know, that could happen. And um, he comes out and he does some stuff that's like fucking masterclass for heavyweight adaptation and preparation. You know, he he needles him with the with the jab and the low kick, and then Vadum is like, I don't like this. I like being able to drown people with my activity. He comes forward and gets his head smashed off in front of, like, what, how many thousands of fans was it? And then, you know, he goes and he, he fights over him, and they have a fantastically ugly fight, and, uh, you know, Miocic focuses on um, flurries and offensive work against the fence, and stuff happens, and they both do some good stuff until eventually Overeem falls over. 
And then against JDS, you know, Meatridge is like, oh, well, I can just I can just walk you to the fence and clang you. And then, you know, against Ngannou, he has an active jab and he gets Ngannou fighting on a hair trigger and ties him and beats him up for 25 rounds. And we're all thinking, well, okay, um, you know, Miocic occasionally does things that aren't terrible. Like his his camp sits him down and is like, you need to do this and you need to do that and it'll work well against this guy. And we're thinking, okay, and I think this was kind of the collective feeling on um the, the chat. Regardless of how the fight goes, win or lose, whoever man gets the belt, Miocic is going to attack the body, right? Like he's going to attack the body, right? Like, it, you know, and then he doesn't for like two fights and two years and five rounds and everybody just hates ourselves and we never talk about the fight again that's just been the whole narrative like of this entire thing for me it's like you're gonna hit his body right and then you don't and then we all cry and stop watching that is kind of that is sort of what's pervading this for me is like because i mean I, I guess the the place to start is we sort of have to talk about the second fight which was as we could all agree was an ugly mess. It was it was an exciting mess. Like it was it was a fun mess. Like it was it was an active heavyweight fight. But it was it was bloody gross. And you know, Stipe got very little done in the first round. Like he just got taken down and kind of beaten up from top. And then DC kind of just went back to what he was doing last time, and I guess Stipe kind of reverted to his first first game plan, which is just kind of knock him down. I mean, on rewatch, I was surprised that Stipe got confounded by DC's head movement early, far more so than he should have, which makes when he hit the body even funnier, because it's like, you know you could have done this, like, the whole time. Like, it's always there. Throw a jab and let DC do his whatever the fuck passes as a mummy guard, if you want to call it that, and lean away and then just just plug his stomach. But it took him it took him 15 full minutes but the question, I, I guess the question I have, because we've all seen that fight, is sort of a trending question. Do you think that DC was well on his way to winning by the time Stipe figured the body shots out? Like, where do you think he was at in that fight? Because I have some thoughts of my own, but I want to hear what you guys say. Yeah, for me, that's it seemed like a pretty resounding no on a rewatch, because I think the thing that people seem to default to with DC is that he's like, you know, he's a champion wrestler or, you know, made all American teams and stuff. Uh, I'm going to leave the wrestling credential talk to Ed because I don't know the significance of any of it. But DC wrestled him the first round, as you mentioned, probably got a 10-8 on my book at least. And you had people going, why doesn't he just do this the whole time? And then he started striking and he started winning the striking stage. But by round three, it was getting a bit less annoying for Stipe to deal with it, I think. Uh, DC was clearly tiring. He Stipe actually started throwing left hooks, which is something that he doesn't really do a lot. He's a uh, throughout his career has been more of like a jab straight type boxer without a ton of um, other tools added to that. So he started left hooking, which helped with DC's uh, bad rote head movement. And I think Stipe was starting to figure it out. It was just the kind of fight where if round three was like a 50-50 round, it could have easily been a Stipe loss on that 10-8 first round. And that would have... If he didn't figure out that thing that he should have known all along, it could have been a loss. But I don't think DC was on his way to like having a strong performance at that point. He just wasn't like he was taking the back foot pretty easily in round four before the body shots. It just DC wasn't poised to do well in that round, even though uh, Stipe could have not figured it out. My kind of read on that fight was like the first round was kind of in many ways a thematic repeat of 
the first round of the first fight until it ended. Like, uh, Miocic looked thoroughly uncomfortable. Um, DC wasn't conceding to his fainting, and Miocic was, did, just didn't want any of exchanges in the pocket, really. And there are various... I mean, nobody's ever going to know the reason for that. Like, he might have been intimidated by DC's speed. He might have felt like a lack of depth whatever and then in round two he started jabbing a little bit he tried to hit knees to the body dc continued doing what dc always does hand trap uh let's just call it a mummy guard even though like kyle's probably going to jump into the chat and beat us up um <laughs> <laughs> and then in, in in round three and i feel like um miocic was starting to find things he was trying to work off his jab or at least he understood that he could get success with the straight kicks of it. But I think, uh, again, Dan from at Typewriting DA kind of nailed it. In round four, Miocic looks like he has an idea of how he has to fight this fight in most ways. He seems to understand that he can establish pressure. Um, he can work behind the jab. He can work behind the inside kick. And he's doing it a little bit cleaner than he was in fight one. But the difference is that Miocic realizes in round four, he's like, well, hang on a minute. This stuff is kind of working, especially because DC's slowing a bit and he's not able to gouge my eyes out with his fingers. All I need is a thing that is, like, potent offensively. Oh, look at that great big body in front of me. Why don't I punch that? And then the fight just fell apart for DC. What I would say with confidence is I think DC loses that fight unless he knocks Miocic out very, very soon because I think sooner or later he will eventually find, oh, well... I need to try something offensively to kill this guy in front of me. I've tried everything else but hit the body. Like, I, I feel Miocic had gone through almost everything that he could possibly go through other than hitting the body, that he would have eventually found that. And we saw how quickly a relatively tired DC fell over when it happened, that that was eventually going to happen. It's just kind of a damning um, indictment of his camp and of Miocic as a fighter that he didn't find it until the fourth round in a second fight. Let me kind of build off that and let me paint you guys a picture because I want your perspectives on this. So there's a there's a tweet that I know we've all seen uh, from our good friend Cool Thought or Sandro where he basically jokes about how we're going to see a bunch more steep ADC fights where they just trade <laughs> they trade off one adjustment per fight. Uh, and I'll see if I can find that tweet and retweet it because um, it's hilarious and it's incredibly accurate. But let me paint you guys a picture. Okay, we're going into fight number three. Stipe comes out and he immediately tries to faint, you know, faint his jab and then hit like a left hook to the body. And DC either tries to counter with his own left hook or or an eye rake or something. Like, let's say DC prepares like one one counter or just one idea that he has to the body shots i'm not expecting it to be deep because dc is just, he's just not a deep fighter on the feet like but he he has shown dc has shown in the past that he can train specific things into himself and it can work to some degree like you know in the jones in the second jones fight he did a better job of like retracting his lead leg and trying to kick jones's legs and, you know, it worked. It definitely worked better. It was a much better approach than he had in the first fight, but it did kind of fall off a bit as he got tired and as the fight wore on. Um, but my my fear is that it's almost like DC's going to be so zeroed in on the body shots that he might... What if he just does one thing slightly differently? 
and that is that enough to like disincentivize Miocic from trying it? Because the the real story of the second fight to me was like you said, it was how quickly DC fell apart, and it was how completely impotent he was in terms of adjusting. He couldn't do anything. I don't know if he had a single count. Like, he didn't do anything to any of them. They were just... It was literally... You know, I, I talk about fights sometimes this way, and I, Saran, we've talked about this as well. The idea of, like, free shots. Like, don't let your opponent have any free shots. There are some shots that are mandatory to take if you want to win a fight. Don't give your opponent free shots. The body shots were free for Stipe. They were completely free. They were just rent-free, throw that shit, and it's going to be there every single time. So if DC can just make it a little bit harder on Stipe, just a little bit, do we have that little faith in heavyweight that that's not going to impede Stipe from doing it? What do you guys think? I think that's a worry in general because I think, as you mentioned, DC did do some smart things against Jones too, but I think the longer that his career goes, and this is meant to be his last fight, the longer that his career goes, I have less faith in him to actually implement those adjustments. Like I'm kind of summarizing your article on adjustments, Danny, when I say that DC's had kind of two different problems when it comes to adjusting, because with Jones too, the thing is he adjusted to something, but the thing he adjusted to wasn't what actually sunk him in the first fight, which was the body work. He didn't adjust to the body work from Jones 1 to Jones 2 to like Silva either. So he didn't really yeah, identify it was like a, what... it was a band-aid over a much bigger problem. I agree. Yeah. So like he adjusted to one problem that he had in that fight, but it wasn't the problem that he needed to address, like that everyone saw in the first fight. So this time, I don't think that'll be the problem because he actually got finished off it. So he can't just be like, oh, I got tired. I need to train more conditioning in that AKA way of, you know, try harder, become a better athlete way. He got finished by the body shots. So he's going to see that. But the longer his career goes, I just have, I don't think he's going to be able to do those kinds of specific things with any sort of consistency. And Stipe did, as Hacks mentioned, you know, hit like knees to the body and like one kick. It might just be that once he knows to focus on the body, he can do it more with the stuff that worked in the first fight that wasn't just the left hook. But, you know, heavyweight is, anything good that happens at heavyweight is just a setup for something worse to happen. So it's, uh, I'm not confident. I should be, but I'm not. That's the MMA version of Bomber's Law. Like, anything good is just happening to set up an even bigger disappointment, and I, like, wholeheartedly plus one that. I think there are, there are two questions to that analysis that need to be asked. Um, the first one is, yes, can, can DC actually adapt? Because even if he just makes body shots, let's say, 10% less tempting for Miocic, the, it's not just that... Like, so when we look at, say, Jones, right... Because of the stylistic matchup differential between DC and Jones, um, the bodywork was a huge part of Jones's offense and and, and and draining DC. Miocic was able to drain DC and was, with the exception of DC's, again, quote-unquote, mummy guard, was able to have options that seemed to be pretty meaningful offense against DC, if not for the mummy guard. And DC's answer to body shots, I feel like, is probably going to be to bring his hands down. So my thought process is, even if DC makes a great adjustment to body shots, it's probably just going to expose him more to getting his face punched in with straight blows. And DC's entire... Um, I, I know Dan is going to be like, why did you say this? His entire striking renaissance has been make things really awkward and really ugly for fighters that are better at straight hitting to than me to hit me with straight hitting. 
And so he comes into the fight against Miocic, and I'm thinking, based on what we know about DC, he's probably going to bring his hands down. He's probably going to make it easier to jab his head off. So I'm, even if he does make the adjustments, and he he absolutely can because it's such a small, limited issue that he needs to deal with. Um, I'm not sold on the idea that any adjustments he could make, like turning, uh, getting his, you know, turning an attack on his body into a situation for a counter. I'm not super sure those situations are even going to do something meaningful in terms of mitigating uh, Miocic's offense. Because again, go back to the second fight, Miocic threw almost everything in the kitchen sink in his arsenal against DC before finding the answer. So, I, I mean, maybe I'm being a little enthusiastic here, but part of me goes, well, he knows that all this other stuff didn't work until he brought DC's hands down, until he hit his body. Then he knew it did work because he used it to start knocking him out. Maybe DC's adaptations could actually just get him hurt more often by stuff that he's used to being able to just tank through with his mummy guard and his durability. But, That's you know, an interesting point. So. I hadn't considered it like that. Like, that he, yeah, I mean, that is, <clears throat> that is kind of the problem with, D- well, I have a lot of problems with DC. But, um, one of the big problems with him is that he's just he's exactly that kind of fighter it's like the the context that he's built for himself is inherently flawed and he's he has a bunch of technical and might i say mechanical flaws that prevent him from like really making those adaptions stick if you will like he can okay if he if he trains himself to pull his front leg back and kick a leg he can do it but you're never going to get any kind of layered adjustments out of dc he's never going to like he, he's never going to figure out <laughs> it it's not going to be like a holloway volkanovsky 2 type fight like I, he's just not doesn't have the depth he doesn't have the mechanics to really make them count so i didn't consider that and i think it's kind of like if you're if you've got a level of self-awareness and introspection that say Max Holloway showed in the Volk fight too, um, I feel like if you had that and you looked at the fight, you'd realize the reason that DC was getting rolled by body shots isn't just because he's vulnerable to body shots. It's because he has a defense that is built almost entirely around one thing: hands up, block straight blows. You take that away, you know, you take that away with body shots. He puts his hands down. It's it's one of those very binary things. Like DC's entire defensive um, approach can be taken apart by a double attack. It was taken apart by a double attack. It was taken apart by a double attack by a guy he'd beaten up over 20 minutes who had absolutely no answer to him at any point. Like at at some level, no matter how much you like DC, no matter how much you like heavyweight, whatever, you have to just go. That says something about his technical and I suppose, his fight IQ limitations. It has to say something, because if it doesn't, then why the hell even study the study the fight game to begin with if it's that simple? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the issue that we had with DC, like, throughout his career, especially, like, back to the Jones fights, is that we're starting to kind of see how Jones is limited in a way that DC was never really prepared to show, just in terms of, like, the skill set he had. But even if you look at the adaptations he made in the second fight... You're looking at someone who not only 
couldn't make the adjustments that he needed, but couldn't really see what the problem was. That's kind of the biggest issue with DC. And it's something that Danny's mentioned with AKA is that they tend to just be work harder, try harder, do what I'm doing type of camp. And I don't think that's what's going to happen with Stipe just because the flaw is just glaringly obvious. But even that could work against DC because he's just not going to pay attention to anything else. He's a single-minded fighter like throughout his career. It's just that the thing that's that his mind has been on all this time tends to work. And if you just go, I'm going to block body shots, that's not Stipe's A-game. And Stipe's A-game is probably more dangerous than the body shots. So I feel like I feel like this fight is just going to sort of lead to analysis in circles, if you know what I mean. Um, I think it's time to make it's time to make picks. Hacks, what, what are you calling? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I think I have to pick Miocic at this point just because I do not have, and I acknowledge that this is an incredibly flawed analytical approach, but I have no evidence whatsoever in any point of DC's career at any point that he has ever critically looked at his technical limitations with respect to what does his mummy guard offer, what does it have weaknesses for, DC's never shown any awareness of more than, oh, me put hands up, me get hit in body, now me put hands down. He, it's like he does, just doesn't have any awareness of the next step. Um, Miocic has a lot of flaws too, but at the very least, after the fight, he was like, wow, I should have done body shots earlier. How did I not see that? Like, he had, he had some level of self-awareness about how badly he had screwed up. Plus, as Dan pointed out in the trajectory of the fight, once he started getting DC with the body shots, he did seem to understand in that fight, oh, oh, now I can start hitting him other ways. So that's the only data we have, that Miocic can do a few things, DC still doesn't seem to and never has. So I, I have to pick Miocic. I know that's flawed. I know DC could just come and knock him out. But like, what other option can you pick based on what you've got? Serum. Cormier knockout. Sadness hedge time. No, nah, um, I I mean, I could go for that. I mean, I think I, I don't I, something that we haven't mentioned at this point is that Miocic hasn't he isn't exactly a spring chicken and heavyweights never are. But even for a heavyweight, he's not really a spring chicken. And DC2 was a profoundly nasty fight. DC1 was a knockout, which is surprisingly the least damaging of the efforts that he's had so far in his last three. And in Ganu, he took some serious, serious shots. At this point, with another year off, and we've been embroiled in this uh, quote-unquote feud for like three years at this point, it's just I don't expect Stipe to look particularly good. But then again, DC is in the same place. If anything, he's in a worse place because he's played a game that encourages taking damage as much as he can. So I think I kind of have to go with Miocic on presumption just with the whole you know pattern of DC not adapting and Miocic showing some ability to do that. But you know, between Cormier and maybe turning him into Michael Bisping again, there's just no way that I can be confident in anyone. Uh, Miocic, TKO2, guess. Uh, well, I'm going to err on the side of what you already mentioned. I'm going to pick DC. I hate him. I really hate him, in case that wasn't clear. Uh, he is probably one of the most repulsive human beings uh, on the planet, in the world, in my opinion. We're going to get demonetized, aren't we? Worth but it. I just have this... I just have this sense in my head where, and maybe it's just, just the sport is wearing me out and I'm just past the point of being able to be optimistic, but I just have this vision in my head of like DC fights ugly and <laughs> the second fight was ugly. 
Like it was a, it was an ugly ass fight. And yeah, there's, I'm 100% down for all the criticism in the world about DC as a fighter for, you know, getting his fight for three rounds, exhausting himself in the process and then getting figured out and, and swallowed whole in like, you know, two minutes. I get it. But I just have this feeling that DC, as ugly a fighter as DC is, he might be better at winning ugly, if that makes sense. Like, you know, these messy exchanges, these ugly-ass, grimy knuckle punches, like, whatever corkscrew (laughs) shot he lands, like, I just have this sense that Stipe's probably just kind of has to work harder if he's not hitting the body. And, like, it should be a... I realize the pick should be an, a logical... Pick the guy who won, pick the guy who's historically smarter, pick the guy who made the adjustment. But my presumption is just... They're both going to look ugly, but DC is... DC is... If he's good at one thing, he's good at winning ugly. Well, that's a depressing note, but yeah, I can definitely see it. If you give Cormier his fight, he's genuinely dangerous in a way that I don't think many heavyweights can manage just because of Cormier's athletic attributes, where he's monstrously durable. He can drive a pace for at least, like, three or four rounds if it's on the feet. He's strong as an ox in wrestling. And, like, it's just, if he gets his fight, it's going to be ugly for you. And I think it's it's tough to trust Miacic if I didn't already have the information of him hitting the body. But now that he has, it's just it's hard for me to say that he won't at least try and you know we we already went through what it would take dc to stop him and it's a lot i think there is a certain irony that like to step aside from dc the fighter and talk about dc the persona he sells this this narrative or i would argue he sells this narrative that his success as a fighter and and perhaps even philosophically as a person is because of hard work. You know, the the, the tired old cliches that are, that are trotted out, brace the grind and so on. I think there's a certain irony to the fact that DC had this unbeatable aura at heavyweight in the eyes of many people when he came up to heavyweight. And DC is an athletic giant. He is, by heavyweight standards for sure. He probably is by many standards. He was undone by somebody who isn't his athletic equal, who outworked him across two fights who never stopped trying to find something that worked. I find that tremendously, uh, tremendously ironic because if this next fight happens and it's ugly and Miocic finishes him by a similar process, it's almost kind of a rebuttal of DC's legacy. It shows the disconnect between DC, the fighter who is look at all of these ridiculous athletic attributes. I have come and catch some hands, bro. And the DC who tries to present himself as it's a very arrogant style and the DC who tries to present himself as this very humble guy who got there off hard work and the grind. I just find that dichotomy so interesting. And it's also why I hope Miocic knocks him the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to co-sign all that. I mean, that's one of the reasons I've always hated DC. Like is I think I felt like he's, that's the thing I said to Vic on Twitter earlier this week. Like when you are, matched up against jones and rumble like you know a a pregnant woman car crashing cokehead and a serial domestic abuser anybody's gonna look like the good guy like anybody's gonna look like the good guy in those situations so dc kind of got this undeserved reputation as this this everyman hard worker as you said and the 
fact of the matter is he's a strident asshole. Um, and he, you know, he, like you said, it's a very arrogant style. He was never a fighter who took adjustments seriously. He never took the time to really evaluate his own strengths and weaknesses. I don't think, I think this is amplified by his coaching. Um, I think AKA, especially Javier does not strike me as a coach who is able to reconcile the issues in his fighters games, because if there's one thing and if, if there's one cautionary point I'm making with my DC pick and I am making it with trepidation it's this when aka fighters lose they tend to lose pretty badly like they tend to lose in a way in which an opponent keys in on something and just hammers away at that one thing until they are destroyed this is what Verdum did against Kane this is what Jones did against DC this is what Stipe eventually did against dc you know it's basically the th- same thing that happened to rockhold eventually it was in a slightly different way but it was the same problem that people identified when they lose they tend to get really badly figured out and it's not a gym that's ever really demonstrated an ability to improve those weaknesses so i don't know like i i don't think that i i don't i have not for a long time felt that dc is a particularly good fighter um, I have my own complaints about his style, about his career, about him as a person, and I don't think there's a lot of reason to be confident in him. I'll say that up front, but yeah, I, I just have this—I just have this gut sense that it's like it's going to be ugly, it's going to be gross, but that's at least DC's kind of grimy fight. But maybe not. Serum, parting thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. I think the the thing about DC not being accustomed to overcoming adversity and just doing his thing is that he's in a division where he hasn't really had to. Cause if you look at the guys that he's faced, uh, aside from Jones who against whom he did not overcome that adversity, you have guys like Volkan Uzdemir and Gustafson against whom you can like this. He could just try hard enough and it would work just cause what they did for Volkan, it was just, you know, breaking after a round in that case for Gustafson, it was just not being particularly good against someone who tries hard, AKA just walks at him over and over. It's just trying hard works at light heavyweight and heavyweight to a point. And at this point, I think he's hit someone against whom it might not work as well. So I think that's kind of where I stand. If you look at the rest of AKA, I agree. Like the only one who I've seen make an effort to improve is like Luke Rockhold. He went to hoof to improve and then fell off physically right after. It's just not a camp that really benefits fighters in that way. So DC could win, but it won't be a different DC. It definitely won't. It'll be a DC who might have a trick but it won't be a dc who we've never seen before i have this horrible feeling it'll be a win that's what win by disappointment i want them to both show up and be better fighters than ever before but i think no matter who wins we're going to be disappointed for at least one fighter's performance at the end of the fight and i think that is the worst place you want to be for a title fight between two such accomplished fighters boy the optimism is just pervasive today um (laughs) We mined a lot more out of that segment than I thought we were going to. Fortunately for the audience, we're not really behind on time because the rest of the card is a little bit dumb. Um, this is a really limp pay-per-view, uh, and so I guess we can we can mention a few of these other ones. I guess the one other main one that we think is interesting is uh, Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera. I almost said Brandon Vera. <laughs> that can't be right. Um, <laughs> Hacks, what are you feeling about Sean O'Malley? Where where do you stand? 
Mm. Uh, I think he's very much a fighter in pro in, in, um, in progress. And I think the thing that kind of sticks out to me is a lot of people compare him to everybody's favorite, you know, Irish Conco McGrongles. Like, you know, um, in that they, they like to come out and, and back a guy up, you know, like they like to establish their presence in the fight, not just in terms of the the techniques they use and the aggression they show, but even in terms of stuff as simple as walking the other guy to the fence and beating the shit out of them. The other guy's like, oh, God, I'm on the fence. I don't want to be on the fence. On the fence is terrible. You know, Leroy Jenkins themselves into a knockout punch. Like that's that's kind of the... <laughs> It's kind of the, the preference of O'Malley. And I don't want to sell short how brilliant Connor or O'Malley is developing at getting that going, right? Like, there's a lot of technique and depth that goes into getting that to work consistently against top-level opponents in a division like bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight. But that's their philosophy, right? So they like clean fights where they establish threat, they get the other guy coming off the fence, and they knock him the fuck out. And then we have, uh, well... It's Cheeto time, I think, was uh, what <laughs> was the fight side article on it. Vera's is a grinder. He is somebody who brings a fight. Like, if you push him to the fence, he's going to come back. He, he's, he's not about standing on the fence getting picked at. Um, he, he can be pushed back against aggressive striking, but, the, like, the spirit, you know, the heart is, is still there to push back. I don't feel super comfortable on, like, talking about the stylistic reads of how their preferred techniques are going to match up because, as Tanny was saying before the podcast, uh, UFC's done us dirty with the fight pass, so it's been hard to watch some uh, some some premium uh, Cheeto content. But I think you there's a real chance for an explosive matchup. You've got a guy who loves to establish his aura, um, put the other guy on the fence, catch him coming off, and then you've got a guy who, while he can be intimidated by you know, aggressive striking games always tries to bring something if it's a counter aggression or if it's um, uh, grappling. I, I just hope we don't end up in a relatively inert clinch battle because I think Cheeto, from what I remember, has sometimes been a little slow in, in clinch fights. But, you know, he did knock out Buren with a, a a punch to the to the liver of the body from the clinch, didn't he? So maybe we'll get some magic even if it goes there. I have no idea what I'm saying about this fight. Um, <laughs> like, it, it, I think it's exciting, but I, I'm not sure where it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like a very interesting, like, momentum fight to me because they're kind of the opposites in that sense. If you look at Sean O'Malley, he's very – I don't know if I want to call him a front runner because he's, like, gassed once and then he won the fight anyway. But he's a very, very quick starter. He um, he put away the, the guy in the contender series, Alfred, something pretty quick. And then he put away Quinones quicker. And then he put away Wineland even quicker. He gets started very quickly with the process that you mentioned, the sort of uh, distance, trappy, counterpunching, the length, that kind of thing. Where Chido Vera, he, it isn't like a feeling out process for him in the normal sense where he like does his thing and he gets started. It's like he feels out what he wants to do in that fight. He feels out like what he's able to do. And it's like, it's super weird because first round, he's like, genuinely not a very good fighter and it's kind of depressing to watch every time it's all of his fights are nail biters you watch the fight against Andre Ewell Ewell was like hitting his body in the first round he was getting those for like free and it was annoying and then Cheeto by the end of the round two he'd broken Ewell completely so it's it's a fight where I think the winner looks like a massive massive favorite but it's realistically close to a 50-50 and I'm not completely sure which way I'm leaning because O'Malley could just come out and nuke him and 
Cheeto's not really necessarily going to stop him from doing that with the way first-round Cheeto is. But once it gets past a point, I think Cheeto just swarms him on the inside, uh, including in the clinch. He looked good in the clinch against uh, Song Yudong. And it's just, it's not a great fight for O'Malley when Cheeto gets going, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of nailed it. Like, there is a serious chance that O'Malley comes out and just bombs on Vera. Like, that's the distinct possibility. It can happen. Vera is so weirdly slow to start fights. He just takes all the time in the world. Um, he is, though, incredibly durable, incredibly gritty, and he's got ridiculous heart. Um, I think he's a... Vera is a bit of a switchblade in the sense that he's sort of potent everywhere. Maybe not the best defensively, if that's okay to say. Um, but, you know, he will, at the very least, I think he'll hang in there. I think, I for some reason, I'm just, I'm not seeing O'Malley knocking him out. If O'Malley came out and just, just nuked Vera, like, that would be a legitimately impressive, this guy is clearly something special type of win. Like, that would, that would mean something. But it's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I feel like, I feel like when the risk, when the risk is higher for Vera, I feel like he, he tends to crank up his own intensity accordingly, if that makes sense. So like he's in a fight where, you know, he really does, he really took time to feel out against like Yule, but he, he also kind of gained a little bit more confidence in the earlier rounds against John Lineker than I remembered. And John Lineker is at least a a massive puncher, is an incredibly dangerous one. And by the end of that fight, Vera was outlasting Lineker, and probably would have won it if it had gone five. I don't know. So I think I think I'm gonna go with Vera. I don't think it'd be quite. I don't think it's. I've seen quite enough from O'Malley to be convinced that he's not gonna just sort of implode uh, against that kind of sustained pressure and griminess. I'm picking a lot of people to win ugly. Maybe that's a mistake on my part. Well, it's an ugly card, so that, that an fits. ugly card, true, very fitting. Okay, moving on. I don't know if there's really a whole lot to say about this one. Junior Dos Santos versus Jairzinho. How you say his name? Jairzinho. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guy Jairzinho. who just got bombed by Ngannou. Rosenstroke. <laughs> there it is. JDS versus Rosenstroke. Hacks. I need in-depth analysis, please. I really hope that Rosenstroke just runs at him and eats him the same way and gun finished him. Oh, God. Um, I mean, JDS is a known quality at this point. Um, you know, he fights like a fencer, back him to the fence and you can kill him dead. Um, you know, ha- has has a lot of good things by heavyweight standards in terms of linear straight hitting. Um, and I think... He can he can thrive when his opponent I'm not going to say is inactive, but when JDS feels that his opponent has a bunch of clear phases of attack and defense that are like immediately apparent, and um, you know I suppose you could say in theory that could be Rosenstrick. Rosenstrick uh, fight as you said yourself fights at a glacial pace, does some does some jabby jabs, does some low kicks. But equally so, what's left of JDS? Um, I think it's probably fair to say that he's he's heavily diminished. And Rosenstreich's comfort at fighting in a slow pace, in particular, I think, can get him through the the early rounds 
in a in a low risk kind of way. Like if you've got a guy who starts slow or seems to be relatively comfortable fighting at a low pace, and he, he's fighting in a, a fighter who's a bit more diminished and a bit older, and you you can feel they're starting to show their age. And in the case of JDS against Ngannou, showed perhaps a little bit too much urgency by uh, getting clanged. I like where that sits for the uh, for the more patient fighter. So I'm kind of feeling Rosenstrick to uh, outwork him, maybe finish him in the third or fourth. Well, outwork's the wrong word, but you know what I mean, uh, have more effectiveness. But uh, I think it's a test of how, how much is left of uh, JDS and in keeping in line with the theme of this podcast episode. And I, I think the answer is not that much. Yeah, I mean, I have kind of the same thought process. I don't... So we kind of shot our entire ass with the uh, Rosenstroik and Ganu predictions where we were like, well, Rosenstroik is very comfortable fighting at a slow pace. And clearly Ganu hates guys who don't just run in on him. And then Ganu ran in on Rosenstroik. So I'm kind of hesitant to like put all my eggs in the Rosenstroik basket again. But I think JDS is a better matchup in terms of just not having die, die, die sort of power. And uh, at this point, at least not really having that kind of potency. I think Rosenstroik does a lot of things that uh, we would probably grow to appreciate from heavyweights if we paid more attention. To, you know, you can jab sometimes, you can check hook sometimes, you can counter kick pretty consistently. Uh, he even hits the body sometimes, which uh, took Miocic like 17 whole minutes to figure out that that was allowed. So he's competent. And I think if you look at the Arlovsky fight where he came out hot against a veteran that he needed to break, like pushing him back hard, I think that's kind of the approach that he'd need here. Uh, I believe in a small cage, which is going to hurt JDS a lot because he's going to be against the fence before he even realizes that he's near the fence. He does that in a big cage, and he's going to do that in a small cage in half the time. So it's going to be a, a funny fight in terms of ring awareness for him. But I'm favoring Rosenstroik just on form. I think there's enough to favor Rosenstroik even against, like, prime JDS if he fights the right fight. Because, like, Taitu Ivasa gave JDS uh, an annoying fight. And that's that fight's been forgotten because Taitu Ivasa's been forgotten, and for good reason— but that's uh, not not a good sign. So if Rosenstroik comes out hot, I think he should um, he should get it done. I think as as Hack said, JDS is a known quantity. But as he's gotten older, and as we've seen some of his recent performances, I no longer have a lot of faith in JDS to even win his own kind of fight. Like that was the thing is we could pin. We could look at Blagoj Ivanov, we could look at Tai Tuivasa, and we could look at Derek Lewis and say they're all fat, stumpy heavyweights. You know, some of them are pretty strong, <laughs> but they're not they're not notable pressure fighters, and they're not like big clinch threats. They're not really going to be able to close them down that easily. So JDS is probably going to get his fight. He's probably going to jab, you know, right hand, and just kind of do his his change up from mid range. And he's going to win because that is, you know, that is the JDS type of fight. And if he gets his fight, he usually wins it. You get to a certain point in a declining fighter's career where you start thinking, have you declined past the point of winning the fights that seem like good matchups? Like, you know, Nganu, Nganu seemed like a, a, an okay one for prime JDS, uh, but like, you know, in the places they are now i don't think a lot of people were picking him to win it against curtis blades like curtis blades is a bit more resemblant uh is that a word resemblant he is more resemblanting of a fighter who would trouble jds so i 
I'm just thinking, like, has JDS passed that point where, like, it it's no longer a game of there's a certain matchup, you pick him, there's a certain matchup, you don't. I'm kind of getting to the point where I just think most of the time you don't. Uh, you know, I don't think Rosenstroik is all that, but he's he's at least got a functional leg kick from range. He could probably jab with JDS. He's a he's a southpaw, I believe. And uh, yeah, he's probably just gonna probably gonna fence for a little bit, and you know, Rosenstroik might just ding him with something, and that's it. I don't really try, have a lot of faith in JDS to do much anymore. I mean, you'd have to really kind of wind down the, the heavyweight ladder for me to find someone I'd really strongly, confidently favor him over. It's kind of, I feel like the window's kind of closed. I think the thing about the Blades fight is that Blades didn't fight like a nightmare for JDS, because if you uh, remember that fight, it was Blades not really having an idea on how to enter on takedowns against JDS and kind of just jab straighting him anyway. So I think like a, a, a boxing Curtis Blades is not a matchup that JDS should be losing. So I think that kind of substantiates what you're saying. I, I also think just Rosenstrike, yes, you can critique many things in the Overeem fight, but he did show that he's quite comfortable fighting five rounds, losing, waiting to set up his opportunity. He doesn't seem like the sort of person who's going to be like, oh no, JDS has been hitting me more than I've been hitting him for two rounds. Better spaz out and throw the fight. I think he can manufacture a winning situation over five rounds against the JDS. and I mean, he has proven he can do it against somebody that's probably less diminished in terms of the threat they offer in the Overeem fight. So that's maybe that's useful. God damn, how is Overeem less diminished than, than JDS? Like, I'm hearing that, and the thing you might be right about that. It's timeless. God damn, it's weird. It is weird. Heavyweight chins are weird. <laughs> okay. I don't really have a lot more else I think we need to cover. Are there any other fights that you guys feel are relevant to discuss before we call it an episode? Do we want to talk about last weekend? Oh, Benito, I mean, are you your favorite oh, yeah. guy? Your favorite uh, fighter. Um, talk about <laughs> it. At this point, definitely. I mean, I think I think dodson really isn't a bad fight, but I'm not sure there's a ton to say about Dvalishvili that hasn't been. Um, and Dodson, for that matter. But Benil Dariush, future title contender, beats everyone. The the most inspiring post-prime tale that there's ever been in this uh, bitch of a sport. So there we go. I'd actually echo uh, Thurim there. I would say in a card full of fighters that don't critically evaluate their weaknesses and don't do preparation, be more like Dariush. Look at your weaknesses. Acknowledge that you can't get getting hit in the face and banking on your athleticism forever. Because who knows, you might be able to make a comeback from what looked like a career death in the most one of the most competitive divisions in the sport. The immortal Benil Dariush. I I think I'm good on my end. I don't really have... I, again, I, to the audience, I'm sorry. I really... We really love doing pay-per-view discussions like they're i think they're really fun is the one after this costa adesanya i think so it's either that or right um, yeah JG. like we'll have hacks on for that and that'll be an awesome discussion maybe we'll get like brad riddell on that card or something who knows but in this case this one's a very it's a very strange ugly card full of a lot of strange ugly fighters who are in strange ugly positions in their careers i don't know what we're gonna get and i guess all we can hope for is another merciless knockout uh, at the hands of Miocic towards Daniel Cormier. Because if I get that, I'll be a happy man. Uh, and I won't disparage I won't disparage heavyweight anymore. 
I don't even care if Stipe gets slept in 15 seconds by Francis Ngannou. If he knocks out DC again, he's a hero forever. Hacks, thank you again for coming on the show, my friend. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, thank you for putting up with me somehow managing to be even more of a doomer about the heavyweight division than you guys. Um, please may the <laughs> suffering end with a minimum of brain damage for all fighters involved. Uh, <laughs> bless. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm good. Uh, the the card is awful. Uh, Danny, you got anything coming out? What? It's not. It's not a thanks COVID. I hate it card. This is is we didn't have the same like feeling as we did on like the last pay-per-view where we were really ready for some serious heartache and heartbreak when actually a lot of the yeah, we cared about the people on that card that's true i guess we did but then you know but it's still like i'd say that is still a better feeling you're more engaged like this one we're kind of just like okay covid whatever you say right <laughs> it's a little different um articles i have coming out what do i have coming out what do I have? coming out okay so i just wrote an, another metagame piece which i think i'm gonna pause those for a while because i'm exhausted um and it is on prioritization and i actually never even heard hax's thoughts on it uh so he and i have beef now <laughs> um and then i have an article about the career arc of will brooks former bellator champion and ufc flameout which is just about done um i am waiting hear back from our good friend Matus who's taking a look at it we're going to discuss it and maybe one like round of editing um probably going to take another look at it just to make sure it's all polished up but that is just about finished i'm very happy with it it was a sad but cathartic right you know it was like uh it was like getting closure with an x i needed to do it Serum. <laughs> do you have anything going <laughs> well no way i'm beating that uh not nothing in the near future uh, probably something on Joseph Benavidez uh, soon-ish. The staff picks for uh, 252 are probably going to be out if we can get the, the people on the staff to actually get to it relatively quickly. Uh, a very tight run ship, in case you can't tell. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much all I got. Hacks? Any articles coming out? I think I've I think I've managed to get it work to what I've written in, in a format that actually works on Squarespace. I think that's good. Other than that, um, no, not not a lot to talk about other than local fight site Polycule cancels relationship with entire heavyweight division. I think that's that's what this is right now. <laughs> that's actually not a million miles off, <laughs> honestly speaking. Thank you guys, as always, for the support. Hacks, thank you again for coming on the show. You're always welcome. If if it if it warrants, if it permits, we could do a uh, we could have you on for the recap in a week. Um, that could be fun. That could be interesting. Again, check out the fight site. Uh, check out all of our articles. You can find Serum on Twitter at, at @SerumMSays. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dmarty77. You can find Haxorized on Twitter at Haxorized. H a x x o r i z e d. Um, on the fight site, if you scroll down, there is a link to Hyperfly. Hyperfly is all your uh, jujitsu and gi needs. If you click the banner at the very bottom, the Hyperfly button. Uh, you do they get a discount or do we get a profit? I don't remember, but do that because it profit, helps I think. somewhat some someone somewhere. Um, <laughs> and the rest of you guys, thank you so much for your support. Listen to the DC Hate Cast on the Fight Side Patron and stay safe.